ವಸುಧೇವಸುತಂ ದೇವಂ ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಪ್ಲೀಸ್ ರಿಪೀಟ್ ಆಫ್ಟರ್ ಮೀ ದರ್ಸಸ್ ಇಲೆವೆನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಟ್ವೆಲ್ವ್ ವಿಚ್ ವಿ ಡಿಡ್ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಟೈಮ್ ಶ್ರೀ ಭಗವಾನುಚಾನ್ವಶೋಚಸ್ತ್ವಶೋಚಸ್ತ್ವಾಶಸೆಗತಾಶೋಚಂತ ಪಂಡಿತಾಹಂಜಾತುನಾಶಂಜಾತುನಾಶಂಜಾತುನಾಶಂಜಾತುನಾಶಂಜಾತುನಾಶಂಜಾತುನಾಶಂಜಾತು
contempt and greatest of all that fear of death is completely gone it's a change of form from a wave form to maybe spray or foam or whatever change of name and yet i remain exactly the same not only that another great thing which comes is as water as wave i'm separate from each wave that is another wave and that's another wave and i am a wave but as water all waves are me i alone am in all waves all waves are in me sarvabhuteshu chatmanam sarvabhutani chatmani all beings are in the self the, the existence consciousness bliss and that ex- ex- i as that existence consciousness bliss i am in all beings so that realization comes so it's a very nice example and by the way examples have their limitations so don't you think that i mean don't think that yeah but the big wave still has more water i may be water but I, that's the limitation of the example where from the point of view of brahman existence consciousness place there is no more or less it is one indivisible being it's not more somebody has more brahman sri ramakrishna is more brahman i'm i'm little less brahman lower grade huh? no we are all the same brahman and not 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 that we are parts of the same brahman or the same type of thing there is no difference of type the philosophy they'll say type token difference there is no type token difference here it is one reality we are exactly that all of it totally completely i've got me started on my favorite subject but sri krishna has introduced it in a very simple way you are not the body you are the one in the body in fact vedanta makes a distinction between body mind and the self so this changing body and inside the embodied one which is a changing mind also intellect mind memory these are also changing and you are the consciousness in which the mind is operating and through the mind the uh, body is experienced and so on that is what he has taught and very poetic language he says it is not that there was ever a time when i was not there was it's not that there ever there was a time when you were not not that there was ever a time when these kings assembled warriors and kings were not nor indeed where there will there be a time when they will not be you see we are all here right now there's no doubt arjuna has no doubt that we are all here krishna is there arjuna is there all the assembled friends and enemies are here but our question is where did we exist before the birth of this body our question is is there anything after the death of this body so krishna says yes this is the eternal truth of all religion all religion says there is something which was there you were there before the birth of this body and there is something that lasts beyond the death of the body to be precise from a vedantic perspective it's not just the atman which outlasts the death of the body the mind also outlasts the death of the body so it the mind which is the repository of of uh, experiences of tendencies samskaras vasanas uh, that which goes from lifetime to lifetime so it's the sukshma sharira the subtle body mind is a part of subtle body i'm using the word mind in a general sense in vedanta you'll have so many components what i'm saying i'm just saying mind but actually in in um, if you say what exactly is the subtle body they will talk about 19 parts um five sense organs not that the nose and the eyes and the ears will go with you after death the powers of the sense organs the ability to see hear smell taste touch the five sense organs the five motor organs the uh, five pranas that means the vital forces there are five of them and then the four functions of the what we call the inner instrument antakkarana mind intellect ego memory mana buddhi chitta hankar all together 19 5 plus 5 plus 5 plus 4 if you say forgot that don't for it'll come again <laughs> many times over so um that does not die with the death of the body that does not die with the death of the body that goes on yeah, when this body dies that goes on to other worlds and and takes up other bodies so that is the teaching and the atman does not go anywhere the pure self existence consciousness bliss it's like the sun ever shining it's always there 
So that is the teaching. Now the next verse, 13th verse. Dehino asmin yatha dehe Dehino asmin yatha dehe Kaumaram yovanam jaram Kaumaram yovanam jaram Tatha dehan taraprapti Tatha dehan taraprapti Actually that is wrong Tatha dehan taraprapti Tatha dehan taraprapti Dheeras tatra namuhyati Dheeras tatra namuhyati so what does it mean? Even as this embodied self, that means you in this body, attains in this body childhood, youth and old age, so does it attain another body. The wise man does not get deluded at this. It's a very well-known verse on the Bhagavad Gita. And usually it's <laughs> the time you get to hear it is when somebody dies. So this is uh, traditional, you know, Hindus will have a Gita recital when somebody passes away. So these are some of the verses which are chanted. So it's very well known. It is a, pecu a peculiar resonance with me because of a childhood memory. I remember when I was a little kid, um, our neighbor, uh, they had a son who was much older than me, but I knew him. Uh, he was about 10 or 12 years older than me. So, so at that time, this young man was 19 years or 20 years old. And they went in a college to a college picnic and he drowned and died in the sea. So here is this neighbor family um, mourning. You see, loss of a baby is trauma traumatic, but loss of a, a grown-up young boy or girl, you know, whom you have raised through childhood, that's very deeply, deeply scarring. So I still remember, I think they were chanting this verse or some of these verses. And my dad had sent me to their house with a copy of one of the volumes of Swami Vivekananda's complete works. So I just had that kind of memory and this verse, you know. So what does it say? Just as the embodied being so who is this embodied being? Sounds very philosophical. Huh? You, here, us, you and him and her and I, we who feel in that I am in this body. What is embodied? We who consider the sentient being here which considers this body to be mine, my body, or I am this body, or this is my body. This is called the embodied being, the one, one in this body. That one, just as it experiences childhood, Kaumaram, um, youth, Yovanam, Jara, um, old age. Look how they went straight from youth to old age. That means <laughs> I didn't think they had the concept of middle age in those. <laughs> so, just as we experience, how do we experience? Not by itself. The sentient being is not a child, or, uh, or consciousness is not a child. Consciousness is not a young person or an old person because of the changes in the body. Imagine, uh, right now, in this lifetime itself, such vast changes we have undergone. The child's body and the body you see yourself in now, vast changes in structure, in, in, in appearance, vast changes. And the mind also, in this body, as we move from babyhood to childhood to teenage to youth, the mind undergoes so much change. You know so much more, you learn so much more. Your attitudes change, your, what you want, your perception of life, vast changes come over us. And yet, this is the point, yet we identify ourselves as the same person. I was that entirely different body, I was in that. Doctors tell us in, in seven years, I think every cell of the body, seven years or some such number they give, every cell in the body is gone, except I think some nerve cells, they remain. And every cell in the body is, not suddenly, not at the end of seven years, I'm going for a full body replacement. <laughs> Over seven years, slowly. So by the end of seven years or whatever, eight years, ten years, even the particular cells, those specific cells are not there. 
we are actually continuously shedding. It may sound very messy, but we are. Luckily, we don't see any of it. Those, uh, what do they call the forensic detectives? One of the ways they catch criminals is that they say the human beings are not aware how much clues they leave behind everywhere they go. So much of our body cells we are continuously shedding into the environment. So we are in a continuous process of change. What Sri Krishna is doing here is, notice what he is doing. First, he intimated to us the nature of the real self. That existence consciousness bliss, which the Atman which is neither born nor dies, it does not age, decay, nor is subject to disease. That one is the self, is a real self. But now you also must appreciate the nature of the non-self, the mind and the body. Now he's talking about the mind-body complex, how it changes. It's not you, but appreciate what it does. It changes. This is the nature of the non-self, what you are not. The body, what you are not, that changes. Dramatic changes. And because of those changes, I identify myself as a child, as a boy, as a teenager, as a young man, as a middle-aged man, as an old man. But not because of me, the consciousness, because of the changes in the body. These transitions are so clear, so dramatic, and yet we identify ourselves across these transitions. Now what Krishna is saying is, extend it a little further. Just like that, he says, this particular body also will be, you'll tran transit into another body. Dehantara prapti. Dehantara, other body. Deha means body. Dehantara, next body, another body. This body gets worn out. The nature of the, the non-self, that the body, one, one thing is it changes dramatically. Second thing is it gets worn out. Wear and tear. And like clothes, you wash them, keep them carefully. Then after some time they are old and you can't wear them on formal occasions. You can't take it out. And then finally they are discarded. And you get a new set of clothes. He will use that example a little later. Krishna will use that example. Just like discarding an old pair of trousers or something. You discard the soul in this body. Here he means the jivatma. Atman plus subtle body. It discards an unusable body. And moves on. Why be unhappy? You're going to get a new model, improved. Yeah? iPhone 8. So you move on. All your data is transferred into the next body. So this is the teaching. Need not be afraid, need not be unhappy at it. Yes, it's a little more dramatic than going from, uh, uh, um, you know, from uh, childhood to teenage. Although I wonder, and somebody said, I wonder how we survived our teenage years. So... A little more dramatic than our lifetime changes. But it's still just a change. You are still there. Notice, your friend is talking and then his phone, he, he says hello, hello and he looks at the phone. Oh, my phone died. Your friend didn't die. The phone died. Right? You're talking with your friend. After that you can't hear him anymore. Do you think that he's dead or the phone is dead? Phone is dead. But because the phone is dead, you can't hear him anymore. If it was a video call, you can't see him anymore. Exactly like that, when the body collapses, when the body dies, the, the claim here is, in Vedanta, that you continue to exist. That person continues to exist. But you cannot contact that person anymore through that body. Nor can that person contact you. Cannot speak, cannot hear you, cannot move around. So... So, phone is dead. That's all. Until the guy gets a replacement. Yeah. Only thing is in this case, when the replacement comes, he's forgotten all about you. Your number is erased. <laughs> it's a different number. You don't know what the number is. And so you can't get in touch. Dehantara prapti. All right, ask. Everything gets transferred according to one claim because it is said that in the last life yogis recall all the memories of past lives. So it is there but not recoverable. We cannot access them. Just like 
The claim is that there are many, many, I guess most of the traces of our childhood, babyhood are still there in this brain. We just can't access it. And the proof of that is suddenly sometimes you access it. And there were experiments, I think Penfield's exper experiments where they stimulated parts of the brain. Many memories which were simply not experienced by that person for many, many years, decades. They got vivid recall when that part was stimulated. Which is neurological proof that, uh, the, I mean, things which we would not expect, they are there. But we can't, normally they are not available for recall for us now. And the uh, claim is that all of this gets transferred to the, um, with the subtle body. It goes on to the next one. But then what is recoverable? What The ones which we see are recovered are um, tendencies. So if you get a PhD in um, neuroscience, unfortunately you will not be born as a baby with a PhD in neuroscience. Uh, so all that knowledge, the specific knowledge is not either not there or at least not recoverable. But what is recovered, what gets manifested, what is found in the next life are tendencies. Desires, certain proclivities, tendencies. So in some extreme cases it becomes startling. In most of our cases it's mixed. Uh, we get a mix of good and bad tendencies from past lives. But in extreme cases like um, say a prodigy for example. So there's no way of explaining how that, that comes about. Somebody has extraordinary capacities in music or mathematics or chess or something like that. And in a few cases, there have been cases of recovered memories from past lives. There have been documentation, but some scientists would not take that seriously. But the, there's a lot of data on that. Yeah, so all of these are passed on. Physical body, dead. Brain, nervous system, all gone here. Um, certain tendencies, characteristics are expressed in the next life. So what physically what goes on, well, that, is, that is the subtle body only survives. The subtle body survives death. It sort of, let's put it this way, it curls up into like what we experience in deep sleep. Blankness. And then when it gets a new body, either in other worlds or when you come back here, it starts working again. And part of our samskaras, depending on the body we get, part of our past experiences, our, the recordings, the samskaras, they get activated. Not all of what we are is expressed right now. What is our past karma has given us this body and what is suitable to this body and this environment is getting expressed now. Yeah. We are ancient creatures. Even the, even the new, most newborn baby is also a very ancient creature. Sometimes you can see it in their eyes. <laughs> yes. But by the way, the mind is very, very closely connected with the body and nervous system. So as the body and nervous system grow, the mind also expresses, is, uh, more faculties come into play. As they decay and deteriorate, the mind also becomes feeble and deteriorates. Although for um, yogis, for highly spiritual persons, their mind doesn't seem to be touched by the deterioration in the body. They seem to be above the, um, the general degeneration of the body. So even in, I've seen, um, I saw Swami Ranganathanji, Swami Bhuteshanji, year after year I saw them. 98 years, 99 years, 97 years. So alert, so perceptive. It's like luminous minds. 98 year old body. And this I've seen again and again and again, so... I've seen, a, uh, so these are well-known figures, but I've seen a Swami who was uh, in his 90s, who was paralyzed in both legs. Uh, he was blind in both eyes. And he lay like that helplessly for the last maybe 10, 15 years of his life. And I saw him in the hospital like that. You haven't seen a happier person. That day when I saw this person, this Swami, I realized what it means to be bodiless. Bodiless does not mean, to transcend the body doesn't mean to come out of the body like a puff of smoke or something like that. It means being in the body, using the body, remaining in the body, embodied and yet not affected by the body. We get depressed, a little um, scratch here, a little ache here. We get depressed, we get anxious. Second opinion, what's going wrong with me? <laughs> 
the attitude should be let the body stay for a hundred years let it die today now itself exactly the same to me at least say it with conviction you'll see how much strength you get so i've seen this in many cases then krishna uses a word dhiras tatra namuhyati dhira the word dhira will come again and again the word dhira it's there in many indian languages also it means a patient person um a solid person you know like a strong person or a heroic person um a strong person basically here however dhira has a special meaning shankaracharya in his commentary says dhira dhiman dhiman means the one endowed with this knowledge of the self viveki i'll translate it this way the one who is able to deploy this knowledge of vedanta to overcome the sufferings of life literally dhira is equal to dhiman one possessed of knowledge what knowledge vedantic knowledge not only possessed of knowledge is able to deploy it in life so when there is old age and disease and unhappiness and loneliness and all of that you still have the power to rise above it knowledge and the ability to use it in one's own life you know like i mentioned that swami who was paralyzed and blind and still that is dhiman that is dhira this is dhira tatra namuhiyati the the one possessed with this knowledge is not deluded is not shaken when just as you transfer from you transit from childhood to teenage to youth to middle age to old age and it's natural nothing to be upset about similarly the transition from um one life to another from one body to another 14 so this this uh, verse is uh, look at the words in the verse dehina of the embodied asmin yatha dehi as in this body the embodied one you as in this body komaram um childhood yovanam youth and includes middle age also jara old age just as you experience you the embodied one you experience these states because of the changes in your body similarly tatha in the same way dehantara prapti you attain to a new body and so the one possessed of this knowledge knowledge of vedanta should be able to deploy it be not shaken by death Swami Vivekananda what a powerful definition of religion each soul is potentially divine and the goal is to manifest this divinity within us manifest means not only to know it but also to live it to live it means to face up to the the challenges of life that is what he calls dhira here 14th matra sparshastu kaunteya मात्रास्पर्शास्तु कौंतेय शीतोष्ण सुख दुखदा शीतोष्ण सुख दुखदा आगमा पाइनो नित्या आगमा पाइनो नित्यान तांतितिक्षस्वभारत तांतितिक्षस्वभारत O son of Kunti sense contacts with objects result in heat and cold pleasure and pain they are subject to coming and going and are transient therefore o descendant of bharata just endure them suppose the question is all right i understand that we survive suppose i believe this also that we do survive death just as we continue from childhood to youth to old age and all and in the same way we survive death and we go on to other lives okay i understand that but in this life it hurts pain hurts there is physical pain there is emotional pain there is unhappiness in this life what about that even if we do persist throughout from life to life we still suffer here what's the solution to that and sri krishna says no solution you have to put up with it 
But why? How? That's the beauty of it. Put up with it, of course, we have to. But how? Matras Parshastukante, O son of Kunti, he says. The word, word, let me explain the word first. Matra and Sparsha. Matra, Sparsha. The 14th verse. What is the meaning of the word Matra? It means sense organs. Miyante, Gyayante, Vishaya, Abhiriti, Matra. Ma literally means to measure. So from there, Miyante, to measure. That means to know. Whether it is form or sound or smell or taste or touch. When you can know them, that's called measuring, knowing them, getting a grasp on them. That by which you know these things. What are they? Sense organs. So they are called matra. They are called matra. So we have eyes and ears and nose and tongue and skin. And sparsha, sparsha literally means touch. Here it means the things which are touched. That means the objects. What do the eyes touch? It's a way of putting it. The eyes contact form, rupa. What do the ears, within quotes, touch? Sound, shabda. And nose, gandha, fragrance or smell. Um, Tongue, jiva, rasa, taste. Skin, Tvak, tvak means skin. What do they touch? It's parsha, touch, literally heat and cold and pressure, and warmth. So that, that's what the skin senses. The objects, which, the objects which are sensed are called sparsha. And the ones, the instruments with which we sense these different objects, they are called matra. A slightly different uh, interpretation but coming to the same thing is uh, matra means the functions of the senses. Not just the uh, eyes, but the functioning of the eyes. Indriya vrittihi, they say. The functioning of the eyes, which gives us the input of seeing. So, sparsha here means the experience corresponding to that function. First meaning, the sense organs and the objects. Eyes and form. Second meaning, the functioning of the eyes and the experience of seeing. Basically same thing, little more intricate. The functioning of the ears and the experience of hearing, which we are having right now. So this is what gives us knowledge of the world. And what it generates various experiences. Some are pleasant, some are unpleasant. He says experiences shita, cold, ushna, heat. So now we are making a transition. A little cool outside. And everybody who comes in says, it's so warm in here. <laughs> so, heat and cold. How did you know that? Matra, sparsha. Skin, temperature outside, and you get an experience. Pleasant experience, unpleasant experience. Too much cold, unpleasant. Too much heat, unpleasant. Just right, pleasant. These are pleasant and unpleasant experiences provided by, generated by, the functionings of the sense organs, contact of the sense organs with their respective objects. They generate this. They, they will. This is the very nature of the machine. This is the very nature of the not-self, anatma. They will generate such experiences. They come, no, note their nature. They come and go. They arise and cease. Continuously in an endless flow as long as you are awake and in dreams too. They arise and cease. As long as mind and sense organs are working, you will have a series of... You will have it, inevitably. Agamapai, coming and going, arising and ceasing. And therefore, anityaha, transient, impermanent. Every experience is impermanent. What do you have to do then? Tantitikshaswa, forbear, bear with them, O Arjuna. What kind of solution is that? It's a very deep, deep solution. I was just thinking about it. This word, titiksha, it means forbearance. It means patience. Shankaracharya in his Vivek Churamani says, "This is remember, this is for whom? A spiritual uh, aspirant, for a spiritual seeker. It's a very great quality. A profound quality to be cultivated. I was just thinking about it. So many thoughts came to my mind. I was in the 
library at Bryant Park. <laughs> uh, so I was sitting and thinking about this and studying this. And um, Shankaracharya says, Sahanam Sarva Dukkhanam Apratikara Purvakam Chinta Vilaparahitam Satitiksha Nikadyati in Vivek Churamani. What is this forbearance? It def- defines it. What do you have to do? All kinds of miseries. Forbearing pleasure, everybody, everybody can do. I'm just putting up with a lot of pleasure. <laughs> no. It's the unpleasant side of life which disturbs us, which makes us restless. Forbear. There's a reason for that. There's a spiritual reason for that. Putting up with all of that uh, without desperately trying to remedy situation. Always remember common sense. That uh, is taken for granted. If I'm very sick, I need to go to a doctor and take the medicines. But after that, there will be a period when I have to put up with unpleasantness. Unpleasant medicine, unpleasant treatment and unpleasant pain. So, put up with that. And how do you put up? With a scowl? No. Chinta vilaparahitam. Without uh, complaining, without uh, anxiety. Be relaxed about it. Let it be. Let it come, let it be, let it go. You be relaxed about it. This is called titiksha. Sri Ramakrishna considered it one of the greatest qualities. He called it in Bengali, Shodjokara. To forbear in life, whatever happens in life. In relationships, monetary, financially, health-wise. Do what you have to do. Be active. Remedy the situation, but don't be anxious and don't give it thought. Don't dwell upon it. Don't uh, regret it. Don't agonize over it. Why will you not agonize over it? Because it is impermanent. They come and go. Then how do you treat impermanent things? Welcome, stay, goodbye. Neither resist nor cling. Neither resist nor cling. To, un- to impermanent things. It does no good. That which is to come will come. That which is to go will go. Again always. So I, I, I don't have to go to the doctor. I don't have to take medical treatment. No, no, no. Of course not. You have to do whatever. And, uh, you see, um, Sri Ramakrishna would say in Bengali, there's a three, the, le- the, the letter Sha, there are three of them and they're all pronounced in the same way. In Sanskrit, Sa, Sha, Sha. In Bengali, you pronounce it sha, sha, sha. All of them are the same pronunciation. But one meaning of that is forbearing. In Hindi, what you call sahana. Sahan shakti, that means to, to forbear. So three letters, and they all mean, they all are pronounced in a particular way, and they all mean, also there's a second meaning to it that is forbearance. So he would say that. He would make a pun on it. It makes sense in Bengali, not in other languages. The pun goes like this. Sha sha sha, je shai she rai, je na shai tar na shai. Literally translated without any of the pun effects, <laughs> special effects. Uh, it means forbear, forbear, forbear. Patience, patience, patience. The one who forbears will last. The one who does not forbear will be destroyed. I was reading a book on the Buddha's teachings, on Buddhist um, book. One of the greatest qualities which Buddha praised was patience. Shantideva in the Bodhicharya Avatara, a very well-known Mahayana text. He says the root, love, compassion, patience. Love and compassion are less important than patience, he says. When you have patience, love and compassion will come of themselves. And there's a lot of research being done right now. There's a um, psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. He's very well known uh, in, in the United States. One of the things he did was, um, the experiment was an experiment in compassion. So two groups of students, they were... Um, one group was asked to read something. They were, they were div- in the Harvard Divinity School or another divinity school, maybe Princeton Divinity School, somewhere. So they were told that you have to read this section and prepare a sermon on it and go there and you have to deliver the sermon. Of course, that's not really what's going to happen. One group was given the story of the Good Samaritan who helps people. 
on the wayside. So they prepared it and they walked across um, the lawn where, to the other building where they were supposed to give the sermon. Of course, there was nobody there. When you go across there, there'll be somebody to tell you the experiment is over, go home. What, what was there was on a, on a bench in that lawn was somebody pretending to have a stomach ache. You know, as that person, the seminarian would walk past all engrossed and trying to remember the points he has written for, this, for the talk on compassion, this person would sort of, you know, collapse in pain and sort of groan and moan and collapse like this. Now the aim was to see how many stopped and out of concern, how many asked if they could do something. Almost nobody did. <laughs> they were too busy about the talk they were going to give. Some did. And it did not make a dis- difference what uh, story they had read, whether it was a story about compassion or some other story, uh, other parable. Um, so the, the result of the experiment was, it's not so much knowledge that you have to be compassionate that makes you compassionate. Rather, it is that calmness and slowness and quietness where you pay attention to somebody else that makes you compassionate. If you notice the suffering of another person, that was the conclusion. If you notice the suffering of another person, in most cases we have the, as human beings, we have, they call it mirror neurons and so on. So we have a, uh, we are built for sympathy. So we, that's why they say that sometimes in places where life is slower, in villages and smaller towns, people are more compassionate. It also could be that people know each other. Whereas uh, when life is very fast, classic example, of course, Manhattan, there's no time to be compassionate. People are so engrossed in their own minds and their own anxieties, they don't notice what's going on on both sides. So, so. patience. Yeah. So, uh, I had a couple of questions about patience. Yes. Uh, one is that this, uh, there is some literature in psychology which says that bottling up your feelings or suppressing your unpleasant reactions can be uh, detrimental in the long term. So what are your views or Vedanta's views on that? That is one. And the other one is, uh, it makes sense to uh, think about patience in these terms when thinking about an illness or something, or some misfortune that you cannot attribute to somebody else. But sometimes people, uh, how would patience be a virtue when it is versus Right. So that's exactly where patience comes into play. Um, the Buddhist book I was reading made an important point. Patience does not mean taking things slow or letting things happen to you. Patience means not being defeated. Adverse circumstances, adverse people who are uh, treating you badly. Uh, people uh, or a health problem or a financial problem, whatever. Don't admit defeat. That is a sign of patience. Not to collapse and say, I'm being patient, let whatever is going to happen, it'll just going to happen. No. To retain energy, to be up and doing, calmly, uh, to get back into, to shake up the dust, dust yourself off, get back into the struggle, calmly, without reacting, so, without reacting does not mean you will not do anything. You will do what is ne- necessary. That's what I'm, I'm trying to answer your question. So, for example, you said bottling up um, uh, feelings. Now, bottling up feelings is not good. Uh, suppression of feelings is not, repression is not good. But channeling feelings is very good. Reaction means something happens and I react immediately to it. Somebody says something nasty, I said something nasty back to that person. That's a reaction. But I don't say anything. I try to uh, engage with that person constructively or ignore him and go about my business. That will not harm. That's better. That's much better. Immediate reaction is what, uh, what is to be avoided. The way Swami Vivekananda defined patience. Very interesting. He defined, you would always define in a um, positive way. Now this is the answer to your question. Anything he would define in a positive way. Um, for example, humility. We think humility means being low and accepting and being humble. You know what is Swami Vivekananda's definition of humility? He said, humility does not consist in being a doormat. Humility means seeing the greatness in the other person. 
seeing good and greatness in other person that is being humble how did he define patience he talked about patience for him was strength not in terms of patience is strength and what is strength not to thrash the other person he says strength is to stop for a reaction what a deep definition of strength it's easy to fidget it takes strength to stay uh, to sit still it's easy to reply immediately it takes strength to hold back it's easy to think badly of others or become anxious about a particular situation a bad worry some situation has emerged immediately anxiety that anxiety does nothing except create heart disease <laughs> that anxiety does nothing it only creates harm it's a weakness of the mind the mind is an instrument it just churns away helplessly in, in anxiety i will not be anxious i will do what is to be done i will think what is to be thought i will say what is to be uh, said but no i will not entertain uh, anxiety or stress no to whatever extent possible that not reacting physical level verbal level mental level he says that is strength and that strength he defines as patience that's a very good idea actually he says when you drive uh, a chariot to let the horses run amok is that strength or to hold the reins and pull back the horses and guide it along a particular direction is that strength it's more strength to hold back and then guide it to gain mastery of the body of the speech and of the thoughts in the mind that is strength and that strength and patience are it will be manifested as patience all the great men they they may seem impatient because they are very energetic but being energetic and impatient are two different things tremendous energy but continuous uh, the patience to apply that energy in a particular chosen direction that leads to greatness i remember a beautiful song by kabir das some of you may have heard it i'll tell you this uh, i looked it up actually i remembered it today then looked it up i heard it many years ago man lago yaar fakiri mein some of you may have heard this oh my mind oh, be attached or, or take to the monastic life the ascetic life the simple life my mind has fallen in love with the simple life my mind has fallen in love with the free life fakir fakir is a um is an unattached like an ascetic a lover of god and not attached to anything in the world oh my mind he calls his mind his friend oh my mind my buddy yeah. fall in love with the free life fall in love with the simple life jo sukh paave ram bhajan mein so sukh nahi ameeri mein the the joy the bliss that you get in repeating the name of the lord rama it is your mantra the name of god the chanting the name of god that joy is not there in in being wealthy and powerful man lago yaar fakiri mein oh my mind take to the free life take to the holy life bhala bura sabka sun lijiye kar guzar kar guzran garibi mein listen to all the good and bad which the world throws at you see contact with the senses generates pleasure and pain heat and cold not only heat and cold pleasure and pain it generates honor and dishonor success and failure hope and despair be serene thou in all of this good and bad the world throws at you live the humble life literally garibi means kar gujran garibi mein means the poor life poor this is a very beautiful christian phrase poor in spirit poor in spirit means not, with the broken spirit no no means low and quiet and humble but why i am telling you this the end of this song is very beautiful and at the end he says aakhir ye tan khak milega काहे फिरत काहे फिरत मगरूरी में वेरी टचिंग टूवर्ड्स द लास्ट लास्ट 
refrain of the last quarter of the song it says very soon this body will pass away into the dust it will it will merge into dust ashes to ashes dust to dust if you're a hindu the body will be burned and this much ashes will be left i have literally seen because we we have a tradition of cremating the monks who have passed away and so i've seen this this much dust this much ashes it's put in a little bowl and then little earthen pot and then floated on the ganges on the ganga which is next to the monastery that's what remains or if you're buried the body decomposes back into the earth dust to dust why do you go around with so much ego aakhir ye tan khak milega kahe phirat magrooree mein why walk around the earth with so much ego in a blink of an eye you will be gone back to dust where is this ego coming from and then kabir concludes he says kahat kabir the usual way suno bhai sadho o o spiritual seekers o seekers of god listen to what kabir says saheb mile saburi mein the lord my god is attained through patience saburi the word means contentment means patience sabar means to to be patient hold on hold on hold on there's nothing like holding on yes Yes. Over animals and plants. And yet it seems like we're the only ones who are at risk of being dominated or enslaved by our egos. And so I guess my question is um wouldn't that make us put it put us in a position where we we would it would be who is to be pupils to other species that are less ego driven true but they are instinct driven mm-hmm. here we have the possibility of freedom mm-hmm. the first time the possibility of freedom and so we are like a bridge human beings are like a bridge so this human birth remember we are sentient beings whether in the body of a, a dog or a plant or a human body or a divine body we are sentient beings in this body it's like a tra- bridge between towards the higher life so that's why but a beautiful conclusion the lord sahib uses the word sahib for lord so my the lord my god is attained through patience saburi mein stay in patience in poverty in humility stay there and you'll get the lord we become impatient impatience pride anxiety they all go together when to start at the top i remember uh, there's a story which uh, sri ramakrishna used to tell a young man came to the ashram to be- to become a spiritual person and he asked what can i do here well, there who lives here well the guru lives here with his disciples um so what does a disciple do well the disciple has to get up very early in the morning and has to meditate and has to clean the temple and the and the ashram and has to um attend classes and study and exams and memorize uh, sanskrit verses and serve the guru and go out and collect um firewood and arms for the ashram and and so on and so for long list of duties and what does the guru do oh he gives a few talks <laughs> and then the dispenser said oh i'll then i'll be the guru you know it's <laughs> not so fast this is a story which uh, sri ram krishna says that everybody wants to be a guru nobody wants to be a disciple it's actually much harder to be a good disciple than a good guru um i remember once in the ashram when i was uh, a novice a young man came to join the order a simple young man from a village he had just read a few books about vivekananda and so they asked him we asked him so wh- why do you want to, what do, what do you want to do why do you want to become a monk he says then i'll go to the world parliament of religions to teach vedanta 
And we told him, sorry, you are about 100 years too late. <laughs> this was back in the 1990s. Uh, more than 100 years ago, Swami Vivekananda has already done that. So what he has left for you is to clean the temple and cook and... <laughs> yes. Yes. Hmm. almost equated with aggressiveness, especially for certain uh, professions, is considered really an asset. Hmm. So how does one really balance it? In Remember, dynamism is not against patience. No, uh, aggressiveness, like for instance, so, so marketing, Yeah, I know. Um, you notice how Vivekananda defines patience as strength. Uh, notice how you find patience in, uh, in um, see, I, I just mentioned patience is not being defeated, for example, when I say. So, that resilience. These qualities will serve you well everywhere. Even in any of the professions that you talked about. Um, the qualities you're talking about are middle management qualities. Those are the guys who want to prove themselves. You'll see those are at the, the top at any, any organization. You will find some of these qualities there. But remember, these, this is not a management development workshop. <laughs> and these are qualities for a spiritual seeker. What will you get by these qualities? What will you get by those qualities? You can climb a little by further up the, uh, the corporate ladder. But Kabir has the last word. Very soon, handful of dust. Nothing else. I know this story that um, a counselor, he was walking with his client who was an executive and very stressed in a corporate job. And he said, I have no time. Um, I can only, uh, you know, whatever you say, this session, this practice, I have no time for that. You don't understand. Day and night I'm busy. And they were uh, walking through a graveyard. And this uh, counselor said, look at those people. All those graves, the people lying there. In their time, they were among the busiest people in their lives. That's what's waiting for you, very, very soon, very soon. <laughs> no, no, you should always have that attitude. Today or a hundred years later, no anxiety on that score. Ashtavakra says that. Tishtatu, let it stay for a hundred years or let it go today itself. Have to be equally serene in both ways. So not concerned. Then what will you do? Do whatever you have to do. Then see what is important in life. It's the only one thing will be important in life then, this one. Hmm. Imitation of Christ, the very beautiful book. Swami Vivekananda loved it. Um, it was written by a medieval Christian monk, Thomas Akempis. There, this very thing is talked about. How do I find peace? The writer conceives of Christ talking to the disciple. So he just, this is like he imagines this. So the disciple asks Christ, how do I get peace? Peace. And he, uh, Christ says to the disciple, says, if you want peace, my child, then do these four things. Now compare these four with what you just said. The aggressive, dynamic, corporate ladder climbing, no time kind of tense, um, high achiever, A-type personality. What does Christ say? Four, four things. And you'll be shocked. He says, if you want peace, four things. One, always try to have less rather than more. 50% of Manhattan finished here. <laughs> 180 degrees opposite of what you're trying to do. Remember Christ's condition. If you want peace, he says, I'm going to hold on to that. If you want more rather than less, then you will not get peace. You will get everything else. If you want peace, always seek, make an effort, work hard to have less rather than more. Now you're seeing many books about the simple life coming out. Those books themselves, you will have no space for them so much. <laughs> First, second one is even more difficult. 
always seek to be last rather than first. <laughs> Even more difficult. What do parents teach their children? What do you mean? My son won't get into an Ivy League college? <laughs> huh. Think about it, what it means. The kind of me mentality there. Hmm? Not that he's trying his hard to be a loser. That's the first thing that a, a person in Manhattan will try to say. Oh, you want to be a loser? No, 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 no. One thing which you want, say, suppose you want God realization. There, no compromise. In everything else, I'll, I'll, you go ahead. I have nothing to, I'm not competing against you. Be last rather than first. It's just a play on the biblical assurance. Christ says, the, first shall, the, the, the last shall be first. Then the th third one is even more difficult. If you want peace, even more difficult than this. Always seek to do the will of another rather than your own. Always seek to do the will of another rather than your own. 50% of divorce cases will be solved here itself. Yeah. They will not end in divorce. They will, the problem will be solved. Let your will be done. Think about it. Why not? In most cases, it's a minor difference of opinion. A difference of taste. Always seek to do the will of another rather than your own. If you want peace. And the last one is most important. In all things, learn to accept the will of God. Everything is exactly as God wants it to be. Even the most horrible things. To learn to accept that. Do your duty. If you see suffering, if you see problems, do what you have to do. But know that. Don't, don't fight against reality. Four things, if you want peace. We do exactly the opposite. More rather than less. No peace. First rather than last. Let alone last, not even second. Always first. How many people can be first? Yeah. One. Yes, that's great. One. Not great. They say, if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. Just a bigger rat than the others. <laughs> and then the third one, my will, not yours. Immediately no peace. That's the, that's the root to the, almost all the quarrels we have in, the, in this world. And the fourth one, acceptance of the will of God. That is called dhiraha, patience, titiksha, forbearance, spiritual forbearance. That I, uh, on purpose I spent a little time on this. What will be the result of all of this? Jesus says in the uh, imitation of Christ, you will get peace. Krishna says, you will get enlightenment. You will get freedom, moksha, God realization if you do this. How will you do it? With the... He's not asking you to go and fight, this, fight the enemy with no weapons at all. He's arming you with the weapons of spiritual knowledge, spiritual practice. Then act, asking you to practice patience in the face of the ups and downs of life. Try it. The little bit you'll try, you will gain in strength, confidence and peace of mind. The little bit you try. God will, give, will continuously give you opportunities. Don't worry. Starting right now, the moment you step out, it will give you continuously small and large opportunities. If not spiritual, don't take it in this spirit, then stress, anxiety, grumbling. Swami Ranganathan used to tell us, if you are a monk, one thing you give up, no grumbling. <laughs> don't grumble at anything. It's holding grudges and grumbling, absolutely not. It's grumbling, stress, Anxiety, annoyance, irritation. This is life. Fear, anxiety, terror. What's going to happen? Nothing much will happen but terror. And if you take it spiritually, this whole, the same problems will remain. They become the cross. Jesus Christ had a cross. We also will get a cross. Suffering. So who wants to be on a cross? You are there anyway. It's... <laughs> You have been fixed upon it. 
recognize it as a cross, spiritual progress, peace of mind, joy, elevation, freedom. Don't recognize it, struggle, endless birth and death. So that's what happens. The result, he says in the 15th verse, we'll read that and stop. Because the 16th one, I'll tell you about that later, but first the 15th one. Yanghina vyathayantyete Yamhina Vyatayantete Purusham Purushar Shabha Purusham Purushar Shabha Samadukha Sukham Dhiram Samadukha Sukham Dhiram Soamritatvaya Kalpate Soamritatvaya Kalpate So what is the result of living like this? O best of men, that wise person whom these do not afflict. That means those, the person who is not unsettled, doesn't become restless, doesn't become shaken by these, by the cross. Who is serene, who has equanimity in pleasure and pain. Does what has to be done, but serene, calm, not shaken. Is fit for immortality. That one is fit for immortality. That one is fit to be a Jeevan Mukta, enlightened while living. So, yam hina vyatayantete, the one who is not troubled by these things, ups and downs, the dualities coming from the contacts with the senses. The best among people, such, such people. Sama sukham dukham, the one who is serene in um, misery, things which would have produced misery, things which produce pleasure. In both cases, evenness of mind. That person is dhiram. See the same word again. Remember dhiram, one who has this knowledge and can use it in life, can walk the talk, or at least one who is trying to walk the talk. So amritatvaya kalpate, great result comes to such a person, immortality is the result of all of this, enlightenment, moksha, salvation, whatever you call it. The next verse, 16th one, is one of my favorite, maybe... The favorite also in the whole Bhagavad Gita. Uh, it is, as one monk in the Himalayas, he told me, he said, Ye to Gita ki darshanik hai. This is the philosophical heart of the Bhagavad Gita. The next one, which is coming, 16th verse. So I'll spend at least one whole class on it. I'll explain what it means. Then we will go to the original commentary of Shankaracharya. You don't have to get it. I will read out and explain relevant portions from the commentary of Shankaracharya about it. The fundamentals of Advaita Vedanta are there in the 16th verse. Um, he has built up to this. So that we will see next time. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu